You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. A reading from the Gospel of John. Only on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to the Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, and the strips of the linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of the linen lying there, as well as the clothes that had been wrapped around the Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned up toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Emily. Good morning, church. So great to see you here today. I'm Corey Widmer. I'm the senior pastor here at Third, and want to welcome you as you've already been welcomed. Um, And I really mean that. I mean, whoever you are, whyever you're here, whether uh, you are a longtime member or whether you're just been visiting recently, or uh, this is your first time, whether you were dragged here against your will, as I know a few of you were probably, um, whether, whether you've, you're just like a rock-solid Christian and, and you've believed in Jesus all your life, or whether you really don't know what you believe, and you're just here kind of trying to figure things out. I'm totally, being totally authentic when I say we are so grateful that every single one of you are here. Christians believe that this is like the great day of celebration. This is the great party. This is why we dress up. This is why we ring bells. This is why we have balloons and eat more sugar than is advisable. 
today um, because we really do believe that this, like Becca said, this is the day that changes everything. And it doesn't just change it for us who call ourselves Christians, but it changes the whole course and the whole destiny of the world itself. So welcome. Uh, if you've been with us at all, um, our church family over the last couple of months have been studying one of the four gospels in the New Testament, which is the stories about Jesus. And this particular gospel of John, uh, we've been calling this study, Come and See, because this is a phrase that John uses throughout the book. Uh, it comes up again and again. So what's clear is that John is thinking that whoever reads this book and whoever hears it read is being invited into something. They're being invited, of course, to learn and encounter and experience this person, Jesus. But more than that, by experiencing Jesus, by learning about him, John really believes that God is offering you something, that he's offering you in, in every story something, life and wholeness and healing and forgiveness and mercy. And we've been learning about all that God offers to us as we come and see Jesus over the last few months. So today we're coming to that climax of the story in the resurrection that we just heard Emily read. And so I'm going to pray as we just spend a few minutes reflecting on this story together um, that, that God meets us even now. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you've given us this story that it was recorded so carefully and it was passed down through millennia and we have it in your book. And we can read it today and believe that it is a living word and we invite your Holy Spirit to come in the reading and the preaching of your word that we would actually encounter the risen Lord Jesus today and that we would experience all that you want to give us through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you guys are in high school and I know that my high schoolers always uh, have recently been studying the way that um, literary elements work within fictional writing. And really all great stories just have a few key elements. You know, there's the exposition, which is kind of laying out the introductory materials in the story. There's the, the development of the characters. Um, there's the rising um, conflict, the falling action, and then ultimately kind of the climax or the apex of the story. Sometimes in literary work, that's called the turn. And the turn is that shifting of the narrative in the story where everything changes, where the narrative moves, where it's moving one way seemingly towards death or destruction or loss or defeat. And the turn is what happens in the story when everything instead moves towards light and triumph and victory instead. And every great story that you think about has that turn in it. So kids, if, I mean, a lot of you guys know fairy, we grew up with fairy tales. Just think of a little simple fairy tale like um, Red Riding Hood. So you know the story, Little Red gets trapped by the wolf, dressed as a grandma, and uh, she's about to get devoured by the wolf, and it looks like certain death. And what happens? Lumberjack, thank you. No one, y'all were here in the first service. Um, the first service, people were like, I don't know what happened. But yeah, the lumberjack comes in. That's the turn in the story. So she looks like she's about to be devoured and suddenly she is rescued, right? That's the turn. So all great culturally iconic stories in our culture have the turn. So think um, probably the greatest iconic story of our culture is uh, Star Wars episode four, you know, <laughs> um, where it looks like the rebel alliance is facing certain annihilation. And what happens like, they come up with this harebrained idea to fly straight into the, the heart of the Death Star and young Skywalker, you know, flies his X-wing right in and he takes this 
impossible shot and destroys the indestructible. See, that, that, that's the turn, right? Certain defeat suddenly becomes triumphant victory. Every sports, great sports story has the turn. So think of like, um, this is before a lot of you were born, but 1980, the, the U.S. Um, Olympic hockey team, you know, facing the undefeated Russians, losing all three quarters, coming back in the fourth quarter to defeat what looks undes- indestructible. Was it the third? Oh, there's only three quarters and in, in, in periods, three periods, three periods. Thank you, Yankee. I got a, a lady from Philadelphia right here. Um, I mean, I, I thought the turn was amazing in the World Cup. You know, where you know, Argentina and Messi get beat in the first game. Looks like the dream is shattered. They come back, win it all. Like, that's the turn. Are y'all getting it? Right? The turn is where certain defeat suddenly shifts and all is triumph. And what I want to suggest to you guys today is that this turn that we just read, that Emily read so well um, in John 20, is, it's the greatest turn in literature. And not just literature. It's the greatest turn in history. It's the greatest turn that has ever been written. And because of this turn, because of that turn that happens in this story, it's not just a, a, a turn of the story for Mary. It's a turn of the story for every single one of us. It's not just a turn of the story for us. It's the turn of the story for the planet. It's the turn of the story for history. It's the turn of the story for all of us. It's my simple theme today is this, that the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is the turn the greatest turn on which the story of the whole world pivots. Let's just look at this story just for a moment. Right, here's Mary. Uh, she, she's one of Jesus' closest disciples. Um, she comes to the tomb early in the morning. She's overwhelmed with grief, right? The one that she believed the Messiah has been killed. She comes to the tomb. The tomb's open. She can only believe that the body's been stolen. And so she's just wrecked by this. She's overcome with grief. The the, um, the, the word there that says she's weeping uh, means in the Greek she's wailing. I, I, I was actually um, in the Middle East this week, and we saw a funeral, and Middle Eastern funerals are very dramatic, and when the men are in the front carrying the coffin and the women are in the back, and the women are, are, are shrieking, wailing, weeping. This is sort of a, this is not a dainty cry. This is like a heart-wrenching body, full body, overwhelming, primal from the gut sobbing. Some of you have sobbed like that before. And what's so interesting in the way that this story starts is because in some ways it's like John is saying, this is our story. This is not just Mary's. This is, this is the story of humanity, weeping in the face of the cruelty of death. Her emotion in some way represents the emotion of the whole human race in the face of the cruelty and the darkness of death. Because that's the human story. Y'all, just think about the last three years. Our story, the story of our world is a story in which cancer kills and pandemics wipe three million people off the planet and little tiny children get gunned down and, and, and tornadoes take out whole cities and ruthless dictators enact war atrocities, murdering millions of innocents. This, this is the world that we live in. We live in a world in which every single human being in this room and on the planet will be swallowed up by death. This is our story. This is the human story. It is a story of weeping and darkness and death. And that's where Mary finds herself. And then suddenly, in that darkest of despair, she sees someone who she thinks is the gardener. And and, and he says to her, woman, why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? And she mumbles a few words about 
trying to find his body. And at that moment, Jesus simply says a word. Did you hear the word? It's her name, Mary. And in that, in that sent, verse 26, it literally says this, she turned towards him. See, there it is. There's the turn, y'all, verse 26. She turned toward him. And in that moment, I don't know how long it took her to do that. What, second and a half, two seconds? In that moment, in that two-second turn, the entire story changed, right? She goes from being a woman in the deepest despair to a woman in the highest elation. She goes from agonizing sorrow to unquenchable joy. The whole story turns from desperation to jubilation, from unconquerable death to unstoppable life. There is no other turn in scripture. There's no other turn in literature. There's no other turn in history that is more beautiful, more vital, more powerful, more important than this turn. Because if this is true and billions of people in the world today believe it is, if this turn really happened, then it means the change of the course of the story, not just for Mary, but for every single one of us. The resurrection of Jesus is the turn upon which the whole world pivots. But why? What, is it, what do I mean by that? Well, in the spirit of our series, Come and See, I just wanna mention a few things I think we can see in this story that God is offering us. He's saying, come and see this. Come and receive this through the risen Lord, through the resurrection. All right, so let's just talk about a few of those things. And I know there's people um, happily eating donuts that you can hear uh, through coming up from the downstairs. So just for a few minutes, don't think about donuts. Think about the story, okay? Um, the, the first thing I think that God is offering in, us in this story is to come and receive um, grace, to come and receive grace. D- did you guys notice um, as, you, as Emily read the story that John is giving a lot of attention to some very specific details about what actually happened that Sunday morning. Did you notice that? He's real clear. Mary got to the tomb first, then she went and told the disciples. Peter and the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, who's writing, ran to the tomb. John's real clear that he's faster than Peter. He outran him. He wanted to make sure to include that detail, right? He gets to the, they get to the tomb first, and then there's all this, like, um, detail given to the linen cloths. Did you hear that? Like, the burial cloth that's wrapped around, that was wrapped around Jesus' head, and it says that it was folded and it was separated from the cloths that were wrapped around the body as if someone like unwrapped them, folded it up, put them aside. Don't need that anymore, right? Why all of this attention to these specific details? Why spend all that expensive ancient ink on all of this information? The reason is, is because John is writing this as a factual historical account. He's not writing it as an inspirational legend or or a myth. Christianity is very unique. In in some ways, I mean, I I don't know if it's right for me to say this, maybe I'll say it anyway, Um, that in some ways Christianity is the most fragile of all religions and all faith systems because Christianity is the only one that says the whole truth of Christianity is actually entirely based on the specific historical verifiability of specific events that happened on a single morning. The entire veracity and legitimacy of the Christian faith depends on this, that Jesus Christ actually died and was really dead, like dead, dead, dead as a doornail dead, and that Jesus actually rose from the dead, not like symbolically, but actually physically in his body, rose from the dead and ate and drank and hang out with the disciples. The entire truth and meaning of the Christian faith depends on whether these things actually happened. And if they didn't, 
as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not actually raised, then Christians, and I hate to tell you this, friends, Christians are the, the most fools of fools and the dummiest of dummies. That's a rough translation of the Greek. <laughs> Why? Why all this importance on the, on the historical accuracy of these events? I mean, why... Why can't we just say, look, if Jesus works for you, great. You know, it doesn't matter if it's true. You know, if it's true for you, that's, that's great. Why this emphasis on the historic verifiability of the facts of that Sunday morning? Here's why. Because nearly every faith system in the world emphasizes you and your behavior, what you do. Here's what you need to do to be saved. Here's how you need to keep the teachings of the original religious founder. Here's what you need to do in order to be forgiven and to have a relationship with God. Everything is about you and what you need to do. The reason the Christian gospel is so unique is because it's not about you and what you need to do. It is about Jesus and what Jesus has done. Does that make sense? Christianity is not good advice to you about how to live. It is good news about something that has actually happened, that's been done for you. Another word for this is grace. It's grace because grace is the good news that you are saved by the work of someone else. The Christian places their full faith, their full confidence in their own forgiveness, their full hope in eternal life, not in their own efforts, but in the efforts and the works and the accomplishment of somebody else in the person of Jesus and what he accomplished on the death and resurrection. And y'all, this is so wonderful. I hope you're hearing me on this. The reason why this is so wonderful is because if the forgiveness of your sins and the cleansing of your guilt and the saving of your soul and the redemption of your body and the conquering of death, if these things were up to you, good luck with that, right? Like, how are you ever gonna know if you've been good enough or done well enough or achieved enough or worked hard enough? You're never gonna know. But here's the good news, is that no matter what you do or don't do, no matter what you have done or have not done, Nothing can change this. Nothing can undo, reverse, counteract, throw into reverse. Nothing can undo what God has already done, that Jesus Christ is risen. So sin is forgiven. Evil is defeated. Death is conquered because Christ is risen. It's done. All that's left is to just joyfully receive it. Does that make sense? That's why grace is so beautiful. That's why it's so important that we believe that this actually happened that day. Because on that day, we're rescued. Christ has risen from the dead. He has conquered death for us forever. Thanks be to God. Have you received that? That's grace, y'all. That's grace. That is beautiful. So that's the first invitation, to come and receive grace. Uh, the second invitation I think that we are being offered here in this story of the resurrected Jesus is to come and receive a living relationship. Um, I, so I was in the Middle East with a team of our our church, about 20 of us from our church and from the Christian Arabic church, our partner congregation here, were going, we went to Cairo and we stayed for eight days with our sister congregation there in Cairo called El Shorbiya, helping to run a clinic um, in their community that they run. And it was a great trip. We'll tell you about it in the weeks to come. But um, I did have one sort of hiccup, one sort of scary moment. Um, I think it was the second day we were all a bit jet lagged after a 16 hour delay and um, some other hard stuff. And we were in like a really, really busy, we were like in some, looking at some Coptic ruins of some churches and there was a really busy marketplace. And there was just a moment and I had my three girls with me and I looked up and just didn't see anybody, didn't see anybody from our team. 
And I just thought, oh, they're just around the corner. But I went around the corner. Nobody was there. And it was just, I don't know if this ever happened to you if you've ever been um, in, a, in a place where you don't speak the language and everyone around you, you cannot communicate with and your cell phone doesn't work. And I just started to feel anxious. And then as the minutes went by, I, th- I think it's fair to say that it began to graduate into panic. Um, and just at the moment when I think that real panic was sort of spreading in my heart, I heard my name. Corey! It was Fakri, uh, the pastor of the CAC. He was calling my name. He was calling me back. He found me, right? We weren't lost. We were found. And I, I was thinking about that as I was thinking about this story, because I do think that one of our most primal fears as humans is that we would be lost, that we would be abandoned, right? Kids, have you ever been like accidentally turned around in the grocery store or something and you don't know where your mom and dad are? Do you remember how that feels? Remember how scary that feels? Parents, I'm not blaming you for that. I'm just, I mean, we've done it many times. (laughs) Um, I am thinking that Mary that morning not only felt an overwhelming grief, but she felt an overwhelming abandonment right? She believed that Jesus was the Messiah after so many centuries of feeling, the Jewish people feeling forgotten and overlooked by God. God's given the Messiah. Jesus is here. The God sees them. God is rescuing them. God is delivering them. And then he's killed. And so I'm guessing she not only feels sad, she feels abandoned. She feels forgotten. She feels lost. She feels desperate. And just at that moment, as the panic begins to rise in her throat. What happens? She hears her name. Mary, the crucified one, has found her. The one she thought was dead is alive. And then look what happens next. She she clings to him. She embraces him, right? Like she's lost him once. She doesn't want to lose him again. And Jesus says this really interesting thing. Um, He says in verse 17, Mary, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, this is characteristically confusing of Jesus, but he's saying something that is hugely important that we really discover later, is that what he's saying to her is, Mary, look, I know you want to hold on to me. I know you don't ever want to lose me again, but I'm about to ascend to the Father, and then I will send my spirit, and then our relationship can be even closer than it is now. I will be I will be spiritually present to you everywhere. You won't just have to have me physically present to hold on to me, but I will always be present to you so that you can hold on to me and I will hold on to you in whatever place you find yourself. I will always be with you. And friends, that is a promise, not just to Mary, but to you. I think this is one of the most, oh my gosh, I treasure this so much. This is one of the most basic, beautiful daily truths of the resurrection of Jesus that Christians do not follow a dead, respectable religious teacher of the past, but that we follow a risen Lord who makes himself available to us here and now. He says he's available to all who want to know and receive him. Christianity, y'all, is not a collection of interesting religious ideas. At core, Christianity is the offer of a person. Christianity is Christ. It It is an offer of a living relationship with a person who says, I will always be with you. And y'all, we need this. I mean, sometimes living in this world, it makes you feel like an abandoned child. I know some of y'all felt that the last few years. 
deserted, abandoned, even abandoned by God. But the promise is that Jesus is risen and he calls your name. The shepherd knows his sheep and calls them by name and his sheep know his voice. You can be his sheep. You can experience his very near presence with you as he says, I will always, always be with you. That's the gift of the resurrection. And just a little plug, um, next week, I do hope you'll come back because next week we're starting a new sermon series called Always With You. And it's, we're going deep into John 14, 15, 16, and 17, four very important chapters that we skipped over because in those chapters, Jesus makes an amazing promise to us that through the gift of his spirit, he will always be with us. So I hope you'll come back. That's a gift of the resurrection. He's always with you. So, okay, come and see. Come and see grace. Come and see a living relationship. And finally, one last thing, come and receive hope. This, I think, may be the most uh, stunning thing of all, and I've already talked about it a little bit, that the turn in this story, which is just an amazing turn from death to life for Mary, if this is true, is not just a turn for her, but is a turn for all of humanity, is a turn for the whole history of the world, right? There's so many ways that John is signaling this. He says that it's, uh, it's the first day the sun's about to dawn. He's signaling that a new creation is about to dawn, a new epoch, a new chapter of history. The fact that Mary is in the garden and mistakes Jesus for the gardener, I mean, that's like almost too good to be true because um, the, the humanity fell into the curse of death in the first garden, the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, and now are being delivered from the curse of death in another garden And the gardener himself who walked with humanity in the cool of the day in Genesis 1 is now standing before Mary, bringing life out of the cold, dead ground. I mean, this is just too good to be true. And the promise of Easter is this, that because this happened, we humans, because of Jesus, our story, our death story has made the turn. And now we're moving towards life irrevocably, irreversibly, that even when things look terribly dark, and when hope seems incredibly far away and death and the grave seem irreversibly strong, that the turn has already happened and we are now irreversibly moving towards the happy ending, the happiest of all. Y'all, I know this is hard to believe sometimes. I mean, even just in the last year, some things have happened to some of you that make you feel like the story is over. But in Jesus, it isn't. It never is. Uh, one, one person I think that I have really admired from afar, I don't know her, but some, some of you know of her. Um, her name's Johnny Erickson Tata. I really respect her a lot. Um, when she was 17 years old, she was um, at a summer camp and she dove off a deck and she hit her head in the bottom of the lake and she was paralyzed from the neck down. Quadriplegic. Has lived as a quadriplegic with no movement from the neck down for the last six decades. And... Um, I'm gonna read a quote from her and I, I just don't wanna sugarcoat this. Like if you actually read her um, memoir, she's, she's struggled with deep depression, terrible despair, at times she's wanted to die. This is not like this happy Christian life. And yet, despite this unspeakable suffering that no one of us would ever wanna choose for ourselves, she has somehow managed to claim hope, believing that because of the resurrection, her story will end in joy. She she, she writes this, 
I can still hardly believe it, that I, with shriveled bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can, hear this, can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsy, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, new minds. Only the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. And that is the hope of the resurrection, friends. This world is filled with incalculable grief, but not forever because Jesus is risen and the turn has happened and we are moving towards the story. Our story is moving upward towards the renewal of all things, the renewal of our bodies, the renewal of our minds and hearts, the renewal of our relationships and families, the renewal of our work, the renewal of creation, the renewal of every atom and particle on the planet. All is moving towards renewal and therefore we can keep going. We can, we can be resilient. We can keep fighting, keep loving, keep being faithful, keep working for a better world. Why? Because it's coming. It's been guaranteed. The world is on the way. Jesus is risen. It's guaranteed. So here's the offer to you today. Come and see. Come and receive. In the resurrected Jesus, grace. Have you received his grace? Everything's done for you already. Just receive his mercy and forgiveness for you. Come and receive this gift of a living relationship that you don't ever have to be alone again. And come and receive this gift of hope that no matter how dark your story turns, it is now moving upward towards life. So let me close uh, by telling you about one of the greatest storytellers to ever live. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was the author of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit um, and those wonderful tales. And Tolkien was a master of the turn. Uh, in fact, he invented a word for it. He called it uh, eucatastrophe. And um, you know the word catastrophe, right? Ca that comes from two, I think, Latin words. Kata means downward, strophe means turn. And so catastrophe means an unexpected downward turn of events. So what Tolkien did is he took the Greek prefix eu, as in like eulogy, like good word, which means good, and he put it in front of catastrophe. So now eucatastrophe means the unexpected turn of goodness or as he, I think, defined it, um, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with joy and brings you to tears. And all of you Tolkien fans know this. Like, you know, it's looking very bad. You know, it's looking very bad for the fellowship. And suddenly, like, in comes the eagle swooping in, or the riders of Rohan arrive, or Gandalf the White suddenly appears just as you're about to be eaten by mountain trolls. Right? That is the eucatastrophe. That is the great turn in what Tolkien believed. He was a follower of Jesus, a Roman Catholic believer. And he believed deeply that all the great eucatastrophes in his writing and all of literature ultimately pointed to the deep longings of our heart towards the great eucatastrophe of history. He wrote, he wrote this. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the world. There is no tale ever told that people would rather find was true and none to which so many skepticals have accepted as true on its own merit. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the world. So many people in here believe this. So many people in our world celebrate this today. 
that the turn has happened for you and for me and for all creation. And our deep hope, my hope, our hope for you is that you would claim this for yourself, that you would believe this and receive all that God wants to give you. Jesus is risen. The eucatastrophe has happened. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Let's, let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you this Easter day as so many millions and billions celebrate Easter today. We praise you, Father, that you rose the Lord Jesus from the dead. We praise you, Jesus, that you surrendered to the will of the Father in going to the cross for us and then rising from the dead and you now reign forever. And we praise you, Spirit, that you are now the gift of the very near presence of Jesus in our everyday lives. We praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, this Easter day. All glory be to you forever and ever. Amen.